You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated and the kids can be dismissed to their classes. How's it going, everyone? Awesome, awesome. Good to see you all here today. My name is Matt Tucker, one of the pastors here, and, and thankful to be able to um, preach today. Pastor Michael is taking some family time. He's healthy and well, but I'm um, enjoying some time away from here, and, and that's a good thing. And so I'm thankful to be able to bring God's word to us today. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. God, thanks for your goodness. Thanks for your word. And God, thanks for this church. And God, I pray that as we study your word today from 1 Corinthians 13, that you would give us wisdom, that you would help us to know your heart behind these words, that I pray for myself, that, that all that I say would be helpful, would be true, would be beneficial to building up this church. And God, I pray that as a result of today, um, our lives and our hearts would be, would be um, more informed to love you to pursue the gifts, to be a healthy church that is built on your love. God, I pray that the, the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart will be acceptable in your sight. God, do a work in us and through us this morning, and, and our confidence is not in me, but in your word going forth, and so we look forward to what you will do, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, do you guys remember far side jokes? I don't know if I'm dating myself or not, but... Uh, there, if, you, if you're like younger or you don't remember them, like, like a comic clip about like this. 
they have like a funny little picture in them and normally there's like some words on the bottom and a lot of them are like you get a little chuckle out of them right like you read them and if you're anything like me you're like <laughs> you kind of like chuckle a little bit because they're not like this gut laugh but you just you just chuckle a little bit with them um and one of them and then you'll get this little little chuckle there is there is a dad um a boy comes up to him all proud of himself and, he, and the words are you know hey dad guess what i just washed the car for you and we're also out of steel wool and, and the, the dad's eyes go from, like, delight to, like, sheer terror as he's picturing how the car might look in light of the steel wool on the car. Um, if you don't know anything about steel wool, I have something up here today. This isn't, like, garbage the, the cleaning team didn't forget to clean. But this, this is steel wool right here. And, like, if you do this to the car, look at this. It just scrubs the paint right off because that's not the application for steel wool to paint of a car. It will do damage to it for sure. Um, in light of our focal passage, Paul addresses the fact that the Corinthian church has been using, have been using the spiritual gifts without love. And what Paul makes clear through 1 Corinthians 13 is that when the spiritual gifts are used without love, it's like steel wool to the paint on a car. Instead of being helpful and cleaning it and, and making it beautiful, it's actually abrasive and can do serious damage to it. Using the gifts without love is abrasive and can cause damage. So, so as Pastor Scott said, we're in um, Life in the Spirit. That's our sermon series, and this is the fourth one today, so we're kind of wrapping it up. We've looked so far at who the Holy Spirit is. We've talked about what the spiritual gifts are. We've talked a little bit about how to apply them, and um, we're talking about that we should desire them. Spiritual gifts are not something to be scared of or to avoid, but to, in love, kind of take a step forward in them, learn about them, and pursue them with God's help. Today, we're going to finish this sermon series by looking at 1 Corinthians 13, and in this passage, Paul tells us that love is essential for the spiritual gifts. It's essential for all of life as a Christian, but it's essential for the spiritual gifts as well. And he's going to um, give us some perspective as to how important love is um, in regards to the spiritual gifts. And before we get into all that, though, I want to talk about why we need this passage today. Because many of you have probably heard messages on 1 Corinthians 13, right? As, as my wife, Tammy, read, it's, it's the love passage. It's, it's kind of one of those that maybe are more popular in the Bible or ones that you've heard before. And so I don't want us to tune out thinking, well, I've got this. So, so why do we need this today? And if I'm thinking out loud, I think that it's all too easy for us to try to serve God effectively without seeing the need to love the people around us. And I'm not putting this on you, but I know for myself, it's, it's easy to think that I can just do a task or serve in a role, and love ha doesn't have to be the thing that, that motivates me to do that, right? I can, I'm just going to do this thing, and I'm sure good will come from it. That, that's the way we miss. And if, if we serve like that, that could be steel wool to the paint on a car. It could cause damage. Or maybe if I have a spiritual gift, and I consider myself maybe so much better because of that, or so much more necessary to the kingdom, that's not helpful. If, if I have a spiritual gift and I operate out of pride and out of trying to platform myself that is the same as steel wool to the paint on a car. It's going to do damage. It's, it's abrasive to the church. So the question for us this morning is this. Do we believe that love has to be the foundation for effective serving and for use of the spiritual gifts? Do we believe that this morning? Because if we do, that will change how we then step forward. So please consider this question as we study today. And our, our main idea for this message is this. If you're taking notes... Knowing what biblical love is equips us to use the gifts for the good of God's kingdom. Knowing what biblical love is, it's on the screens, equips us to use the gifts for the good of God's kingdom. 
If you're taking notes, point number one is this, love is the motivation. And so a little context as we get into here, Paul writes the book of 1 Corinthians in general because the 1 Corinthian church has some dysfunction. There's some stuff going on in it. They're not operating in love. And he writes specifically 12, 13, and 14 to kind of address some stuff in the church in regards to spiritual gifts. Throughout this book, we see Paul talking about the boasting of the church, the jealousy of that church, the arguing and the strife. And he even says in 1 Corinthians 3, he, he says this to that church, but I cannot address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, because things were so unhealthy and so dysfunctional. One of the reasons for their dysfunction is that the Corinthian church was using the spiritual gifts for their own advantage. And that's where we find ourselves today. And the commentary I read describes the church as this in the problem. This is, this is the problem at the heart of things. At the root of their disunity lay an arrogance that was incompatible with God's free gift to them in Christ. A self-centered insistence on their own rights revealed that their own social advancement rather than gospel advancement was their top priority. It revealed that their own social advancement rather than gospel advancement was their top priority. So Paul gives the Corinthian church three kind of almost extreme examples to kind of play this out for them and help them to see where they are off. And again, these are extreme examples as we'll read. Um, and so like when we read this line of like, hey, if I have all tongues and, and human tongues and, and tongues of angels, um, certainly there could be tongues of angels. We're not, I'm not exactly sure, but like what we do is we read this knowing that these are kind of extreme examples and we don't want to build our theology from tongues of angels based on this one verse alone. So I'm going to read verse one of chapter 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Speaking in the tongues of men and of angels would be amazing, right? I would love to grow in that. I'd love to know what that looks like. But Paul says, without love, it sounds like this. Right? Sorry, Jared. I love you. Annette. I just killed your eardrums. But that's what we sound like consistently if we use tongues and if we serve without love. Paul says, you're a noisy gong going off all the time or a clanging cymbal. And that's, I'm sure, not any of our desire this morning. Second um, example, this is in verse 2. And if I have prophetic powers, and, and hear the extremeness, all understanding of mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith to remove mountains, to move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. Prophetic powers, understanding all mysteries, having all knowledge and, and faith to move mountains, yes, please, to all that. We would love to grow in all that, and I would love to be able to have those gifts. But again, Paul says, without love, you, he is nothing. That person is nothing. And the third example in verse 3, follow along if you have a Bible, says this. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. And this is like the most extreme, right? This is I give everything. I, I have no earthly possession left. I've given up all I have. I even give myself to be sacrificed or burned. Paul says without love, I gain nothing. So Paul tells the church, if I use the spiritual gifts, if I serve without love, I annoy others, I am nothing, and I gain nothing. So guys, the motivation has to matter, right? And that's, our, that's kind of like A under point one, motivation matters to God. Love should be the motivating factor in all that we do as a church. The gifts are given to reveal God and his power, but disconnected from love, the gifts will do the opposite. They don't reveal the love of Christ. They actually reveal our sinfulness, and they hurt and destroy and are abrasive. 
Because if I do anything without love for God, then I'm doing it for a different reason, right? An ulterior motive. And if I have an ulterior motive for using the gifts, Paul says, basically, don't even waste your time. It's worthless. Again, in, in 1, 2, and 3, we say it's, it's worthless. It's meaningless. You gain nothing. God is love. And when we operate without love, it removes God from the equation. And so the Corinthian church had disconnected the spiritual gifts from love and therefore had a different motivation, which we talked about. And that motivation was building their reputation and their own social advancement on, on the gifts that they were using. And I hope, I mean, I don't know if it's disconnected from us this morning, but as we think about how we serve and how we might engage with the gifts, I don't want this to seem so far off because all of us are capable of doing this, right? It might seem right now like I'm not using them as much, and so that's not something that I would ever struggle with. But, but given the right circumstances, all of us are capable of, of twisting them a little bit to our own advantage. And that twisting for the Corinthian church led to arguing, strife, jealousy, division, dysfunction, all of that. The gifts that were meant for good turned into something that was abrasive. So as an example, to bring this closer to home, you guys serve incredibly well. So this is not based on any one thing, but, but say someone is, is on to serve today in some capacity, whether they're serving in Kville or whatever, and they just don't show up. And you being the kind person here about it say, I'll jump into that. But, but the whole time you're serving, you're like, gosh, that person's a loser. Man, like, what were they thinking? They probably didn't even have a good reason. And I'm serving back here. I'm filling in. I, man, I hope people appreciate the sacrifice that I'm making to serve these people. And, and whoever you're serving is not experiencing the love that, that should be coming and fueling that. And there could be damage there, right? Because we're trying to feel good about ourselves. We're upset at the other person. And certainly that can come off as abrasive in some way. And do you think God is fooled by our ulterior motives? He's not, right? I know this is obvious, but he, he knows our hearts. He knows what's going on. He knows what's fueling the service that we give and, and our use of the gifts. God wasn't fooled by their motivation, and he's not fooled by our motivation. And guess what? People in this church aren't fooled by ulterior motives as well. And that's kind of B under point one. A motivation matters to people. If love is not the motivating factor, the chances are high that people will be hurt. If love is not the motivating factor, then the chances are high that people will be hurt. People are, are a little more perceptive than we think they are. Um, I was at a meeting this last Monday, connected with some guys over a book study, and it was really good, but I went into that just feeling really bad. Like, I was just kind of in a funk. Didn't feel good physically. Some stuff going on in our neighborhood. There's some stuff that has been weighty in our lives. And so, like, I just went to there, not, not mad at anybody, but just feeling down, a little distant, and thought I answer the questions well, engage, but a guy named Ben texted me about 20 minutes after that meeting was over, and it's like, hey, like, dude, you seemed off. What's going on? You all right? And I was kind of shocked that, man, people, people notice, right? People can see, and as much as I try to hide something, or maybe we try to hide something, an ulterior motive, or how we're doing, people, people find out and, and can see through those things. People pick up on what's going on um, more easily than we'd like to admit. And you might be able to put on a facade for a while, but people will ultimately figure it out. I don't know if you know Brittany Cox, and I didn't ask her for this example, but she serves really faithfully. She leads our hospitality team, and she is like one of the kindest people you'll ever meet. But suppose you go back there to get coffee, and Brittany is getting the coffee ready for you. She fills it up, puts the lid on, whatever it is, and before she hands it to you, selfie stick time, click, and then gives you the coffee. And like, you know, if that happens one time, you're like, maybe she just thinks I'm photogenic, right? Like, you know, I, I have a good face, whatever it is. But if it happens again, you're like, Huh, you know, I don't know. And so second time, click, whatever. 
you're going to think maybe something's different from, from motivating her serving like that. And, and that's the same thing with us. Over time, it might not be that obvious, but people will kind of get this like, I wonder what's going on with that person. They will know. Ulterior motivations break down community. If love is not the motivation fa- motivating factor, right? Trust will be lost if, if there's ulterior motives over time and consistently. Friendships will be stained and, and strained. And if this becomes widespread throughout the church, mission will ultimately grind to a halt as well, right? Because no one's going to want to serve in that capacity. No one's going to want to be built up in that way where we're all trying to push ourselves forward. Church, if we are, if we will, um, sorry, we will not be effective for God if love is not the motivation. It's easy to buy the lie that love is good, but not necessarily like we talked about in our question at the beginning. And whether we're preparing a meal for somebody, whether we're cleaning toilets over here, whether we're serving coffee, as Brittany does so well with right motivations, if, if love is not the thing, though, all that is worthless, Paul says. So here's some questions to think through for point number one. Is love my motivation for serving? Is love my motivation for serving? Do I see church members as God's sons and daughters to lovingly serve? Or do I see church members as people that I can benefit from in some way? Even this morning, what was your motivation for serving? What is my motivation for serving this morning? What lies might you be believing about spiritual gifts? Maybe you think um, that someone else is, is way more necessary because they have this gift that you were hoping to get and they're using it in a way that glorifies God and you're just sitting back there being like, I'll never be as important they are to God. That, that's a lie that we believe. God has given gifts to each of us as he sees fit and all of us have equal value in his sight. Or maybe you're pursuing gifts more than you're pursuing God himself. We never want to do that. God is the giver of gifts, and the gifts are supposed to reflect God. And if we're pursuing these gifts and acts of maybe power over over God, then that is a miss. So wherever you find yourself this morning, remember this. God is motivated by love and all that he does for you. God is motivated by love and all that he does for me. If we are his, there's nothing more we can do to earn his love. And whatever spiritual gifts we receive are given to us and to to you all in love. And God has the power to make love the motivation of our heart. And that's the hope this morning in point number one. And again, that is love is the motivation. So Paul closes chapter 12 by saying, earnestly desire the higher gifts and I will show you still a more excellent way. And he's referring to this way of love in chapter 13. And so this leads us to ask the question with Trinidadian German singer Hathaway, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me no more. I had to do that. I know it's cheesy, but you all get that. And you're probably just saying it the whole time. And so that will be on your head. (laughs) All that stuff is fun. (laughs) Point number two is this. Love prioritizes others. If you're taking notes, point number one was, um, you know, motivation is love. Point number two is God or love prioritizes others. So for some context, we typically hear this verse, uh, this passage, chapter 13, read in the context of a wedding. Right, like two people are standing, you know, before each other. There is this foundation of love, um, like you know, they're looking forward to being together, and it's like this obviously good vibes happening, right? But in this passage, Paul is writing to a church in which love is not the foundation. Like I said, there's 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 much dysfunction. There's there's self promotion, and it's the opposite of what we would typically see. This how this passage is playing out in a wedding. Members have been hurt, and the spiritual gifts have been used more like steel wool to the paint of a car, and so. Paul's like, let's just stop, and I'm going to define what love is for you. And so he gives us 
verses 4 through 7 to kind of um, see what really love is. And so Paul defines love, and he gives us some of the characteristics of love. And so he says, love is patient and love is kind. And if you stopped right there, that would be enough, right? Because like, that's overwhelming for me, just thinking of that, because I'm not the most patient person, and I'm probably motivated by ulterior motives to be kind. And so like, even that is tough. But love is patient, and love is kind. Love does not envy or boast. The opposite of that might be like that love is generous and humble. It says it doesn't insist on its own way. Or we could say love is selfless. It's not irritable or resentful. But we might say it's, it's easygoing and it's content. Love doesn't rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. And then Paul kind of fills this out just a little bit more to give us some actions of love as well. It says love bears all things. And, and the Greek word there for bears is like to cover. If you're going to put like a coat over somebody in the rain, you cover them, you kind of protect them. That's the kind of the, the definition of bears in this one. It says love believes all things. And that's to kind of trust someone with a task. If you were going to give someone a task, you would hope that they would be able to carry it through. And love believes that they can do that. It doesn't doubt that they have the capability or whatever. It says love hopes all things. And, and that's, that's fairly obvious, but that's in friendships or not, right? You hope the best for somebody. You hope that maybe not bad happens to them, but that, that good happens, that they love God and they pursue things the right way. And finally, love endures all things. And the idea here is to stay behind with someone even if, if like suffering is coming or persecution is coming. You're with them. You're not going to leave them in a hard time, but you're going to endure with them. And to illustrate this, imagine you were um, applying for a position, a new position at work. And there's someone else applying with you that you know, and, and one person's going to get the position, right? And so you're going for it, this other person's going for it. And the day before your boss picks which person, the other person disqualifies himself in some way, right? So they're not going to get it. And immediately you're like, woo, right? Like, loser! You know, they're gone. They're not going to get this position. You're just like, like that. Love understands the hurt that person might be feeling, right? Instead of just jumping to like, I got it, love says, oh gosh, man, I hate that for the other person. Position aside, how do we get to care for that person, right? Knowing that they have probably hurt. Whatever, whatever this qualified them is a big deal. And, and we get to weep over that person's loss, over the sin maybe that's there. We get to reach out and care for them. That's what love does. With biblical love, people become priority and positions become secondary. With biblical love, people become priority and positions become secondary. This is what Paul thought the Corinthian church needed to hear, and this is really good for us to hear today as well. Church, God prioritizes biblical love. If you ask 100 different people what the definition of love is, you will probably literally get 100 different answers. And you'll hear anything from like, well, love is a feeling, or, or you might hear it even like, I love the cereal I ate for breakfast. And, and there's a phrase that has been going around a little bit, maybe in culture, and maybe you've heard it, love is love, right? And I think people mean well by that, but that's empty, right? In that moment, I think they're justifying whatever they want love to be to be what love is. And, and ultimately, that does that alienates, right? Because if you don't agree with their definition of love, then you're perceived as not loving. So we have to care about what the biblical definition of love is. And as Christians especially, we need to care about what God says love is. God prioritizes love so much that he gives us the specific definition in this passage. God prioritizes love so much that he goes out of his way over and over again in the Bible um, through, through his own actions 
to show us what, what love looks like. And he prior, prioritizes love so much that he defines himself by it. In 1 John 4, 8, he says, Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He defines him almost his, his own self by it. And so to ignore the Bible's definition of love is to miss out on, on who God is and how much he prioritizes love. So point A under, under two is God prioritizes love, and, and, and B under two is this, love prioritizes others. Verses four through seven tell us that love is about others. Love is considering the best for others, even at our own expense or cost to us. And can you imagine, as, as we read through what love is, can you imagine someone loving you like that? Wouldn't that be just a peace and, and like a, a security to know that someone thought of you in that way or, or prioritized you in that way or cared for you in that way. In the best of relationships and in the closest of friends, love doesn't look like that. I love my wife and, and she loves me, but if I'm honest, like we don't always treat each other with, with 1 Corinthians 13 type of love. And maybe you've experienced someone who really cares for you well and values that, but it's not perfect, Right? I think it's safe to say that this kind of love does not come naturally to any of us. It cuts against our nature as, as kind of protecting me and mine. And this kind of love might even cost us, and that, that hurts as well, right? If I'm, I want to kind of keep my own stuff, and it's, it's hard to kind of give some of that away sometimes. But it's the better way, as Paul refers to at the end of chapter 12. So here's the question. How do I know if I'm a loving person, right? That's, that's maybe going on the back of your mind. Well, love is important. I get that. God values love, sure. Other people can see my priorities and if I love, but how do we know if we are loving people? Community is God's way of testing your love. And this is painful sometimes because doesn't it always seem like God uses the people that you least enjoy to like sharpen you a little bit? And I think God's, he does that on purpose. You know, like he's not gonna use the kindest person to say, you know what, you could grow in this area. I'm gonna pray for you about this. I'm gonna walk alongside you and I'm gonna help you. No, it's like the person that you just see things differently, right? They're, they're the ones that see this political view a different way, and all of a sudden, you're at tension, right? And it's normally a tension that happens. It's normally the person that you maybe aren't as connected with, and it just rubs you the wrong way. But community is God's way of testing our love. So, so how do you treat the other people in community with you? How do you treat people in your community group? How do you treat people at work? What do you think about the other people that you work around? Is your thoughts always like, gosh, you're just getting in the way, or they keep me from doing this, or, oh, I have to again go out of my way to do this, or is it, or is it out of love? How, how do you respond? And how we respond kind of determines maybe the health of love that we have. God uses other people to reveal our lack of love. It's not always comfortable. This is true, but I want to say it gently, so, so hear this. Others aren't the main problem. It's my lack of love for them that is the problem. And the sooner I understand this, the sooner I can repent and grow in love. Our, we, we want to believe that it's not me, right? It, it, it's, it's somebody else. It's, it's them over there. If they wouldn't have, or if they didn't, or if whatever happened. But, but guess what? Love is, is a response. And, and God, knowing his love, responds to us with, with perfect love. And if we know that love, we get to respond differently, not out of whatever they did, but we get to spawn out of the goodness that God shows us. 
So how do I become a loving person then? If maybe that's a test. Maybe you look at yourself in community and say, oh, I'm, I'm not bad here, but I, I really struggle here. How do we become a loving person? Well, spend time with God and remember what he has done for you, right? That's the, that's the biggest way to, to enjoy God's word, to be in community and to see love displayed through the words of scripture, through people that are also beside you trying to do this well. When we understand in the undeserved love that God has lavished on us, it changes us to want to extend this love to others. So we get to repent of the ways that we aren't loving, and we get to ask God to grow genuine love in our hearts for those around us. And the good news is that God has defined what biblical love is. We don't have to guess at what he's thinking. We don't have to guess, am I getting it? Am I not? He lays it out here for us as a gift for us. And as we grow in biblical love, it serves as a safeguard for church members as we serve and as we use the gifts. Love prioritizes others. So point number one was love is the motivation. Point number two is love prioritizes others. And point number three is this, love will last forever. Paul tells the Corinthian church that love will outlast the gifts. And the main idea for this is love never ends because that's what Paul says in verse 8. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Love never ends because love is sustained by a perfect God who loves perfectly, who is eternal, right? That's why we know love continues on because God continues on, because God doesn't change and because his love for us is perfect. It says, as for prophecies, they're, they're going to stop at some point. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. And then Paul continues on with these verses in, in 9 and 10. So I'm going to read them. You're welcome to follow along in chapter 13, verses 9 and 10. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. Guys, the gifts are only meant to give us a partial glimpse of God and his power. When we use the gifts, we will use them imperfectly sometimes. And also, they aren't meant to fully reveal all of who God is. They are meant to give us a picture, or, and Paul will give us some analogies in just a second of, of what they are. Um, and when Jesus, the perfect comes, at the second coming, the partial, or these gifts, will be done. They gone. So why is that? Um, because we don't need them when Jesus is here. If you're looking through like um, a fence, you, you know, you have a fence in your backyard and you like look at this little crack and you're looking at some nature or a bird or something like that, you know, you're going to see it um, not as clear, right? Because you're looking through this little hole, the bird's probably moving around and it's not very clear. But, but if the bird comes and flies over the fence and lands on your arm, you have a much better view of it and this is a horrible example, but that's the same way it is with the gifts and when God returns, right? We have the gifts right now. We're like looking through a fence at God, seeing the gifts and using them imperfectly. But when Jesus comes back, we see him fully. We don't need the gifts anymore because he's right here. We don't need to look through the fence anymore. He's, he's with us. To help clarify this more, Paul gives us two analogies to provide some perspective. And I call them analogies with Paul. The first one is um, a child analogy in verse 11. Um, Paul says this, when I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. And so that's kind of the first one. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. And so he gives us this analogy, right? Paul compares the time of operating in the gifts to, to a, being a child. Um, let me see where I am in my notes here. Um, but yeah, when the child phase is, is it's a good phase, right? We, we all go through that child phase. It's not wrong to go through the child phase, but the goal is never to stay there at age three or age five. The goal is to mature on into being an adult. 
Um, the things that we did as a child, the gifts are given up and we advance on into maturity when our faith becomes sight when Jesus comes back. The second analogy that Paul gives is of a mirror, and that's in verse 12. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so Paul compares the gifts then to also, to help us understand, um, like a mirror that may be like a little dirty or is dim, right? It's helpful. Again, the gifts are helpful. We're not downplaying the importance of the gifts and how we should pursue them, but it's not seeing Jesus face to face, which is the goal of the gift, to, to help us to see him more clearly. Just as a dirty mirror gives us a dim or partial glimpse of something, so the gifts give us a dim or partial glimpse of Christ. But when Jesus returns, we don't need to look through the mirror at him anymore because he is face to face. When Jesus returns, we won't need the mirror because we will see him face to face. We will know him, and he will fully know us, and so the mirror is not necessary. These final verses provide perspective as to how we prioritize love and the gifts, right? Love is important. The gifts are good. The gifts are good, but love never ends. The gifts are good, but love is the greatest, as we um, see at the, in chapter 13, verse 13. And another reason why love will never end is because of this. Love is the appropriate response to the mercy that we have received. Love is their appropriate response because of the mercy that we have received. That's kind of like A under point three. For now, in all of eternity, we get to respond in love to all that God has done for us. The whole of the Bible is a story of God revealing his love for us, pursuing his people, and it culminates in the cross. And, and we all know the verse, John 3.16, that says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son for us. Jesus loved our sinful souls all the way to his death. And the more we understand the love of Christ for us and what he has done for us, the more natural our response will be to continually love him and to love others. Gifts will run their course. Hope will be fulfilled when Christ returned. Faith will become sight one day as we see Jesus, but love will continue on. 1 John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. If we try to just be loving people, it's not going to go well. Please try. It does take effort, right? I'm not saying just sit on the couch and do nothing. But if it's only us trying to love, it's not going to go well. We try and we put forth effort. And also that happens and it's effective when we remember also, when we couple our trying with the remembrance that, that Christ loved us and what he did for us and that his power has, the, has a way of birthing a new love, a real genuine love in us. Love will last forever because it is the appropriate response for us today, and it will be the appropriate response for the next six billion years, right? We're going to continue on in this life and in the next life to get to respond to the love that God gave us, and love will be present. So what does it look like to respond in love to God? If you're here this morning, you might not what we say, be a Christian. You might not be a part of God's family. And maybe responding in love this morning is recognizing what God did on the cross for us, what Jesus did, and responding by placing our faith in him this morning for the first time. It may be representing, um, repenting of sin and, and because we maybe love other things over God, right? That maybe you're here and you're a Christian. You say, man, like, well, I'm, I'm a Christian, but I love some things over God, or, or I have a struggle with loving people, and so I'm going to repent this morning of that lack of love and trust Jesus to, to grow that in me. Or it might be trying to recognize God's love and goodness in your life 
and being more aware that all he has done and is doing. And I think that's, that's where I land this morning. I certainly am not perfect, but I don't have unrepentant sin in my head right now that I need to take care of. of. But sometimes I'm just unaware of, of all the good that God has done for me. I forget the cross. I forget salvation. I forget the love and the grace that he shows me every day. And if I'm aware of those little things, if that's on my radar, there's a good chance that I'll remember that and then live out of that in a much kinder, loving way to the people around me. Also in regards to love and the gifts, are you valuing the partial over the permanent? That's what Paul talks about. Again, he's not downplaying the gifts. He is lifting up love a little bit more than those good things. Are you pursuing the gifts over pursuing love this morning? Do you treasure the gifts more than love, or do you downplay the importance of love? I think this would be really easy um, to, to miss on. And so I'd encourage you, even as you go to groups this week, talk about this, ask these questions, and invite maybe a close friend into that. Hey, how, how do you see me operating in these things? Or when you see me serving, do I seem like I come across as caring? Because we might even come across as caring in our own minds, but maybe it's received differently than, than how we perceive it. So in closing, how should we think about this passage today? And how should we think about this message series in general? This is the last one in this message series on the gifts. And I would encourage us to think like this. Prioritize love and then pursue the gifts. Prioritize love and then pursue the gifts. Both of these statements are not suggestions from God. Both of these things are commands from God. Paul tells us, God, God inspiring him says, these, these gifts are good. Pursue the gifts. But he also tells us, right, love is the thing. So we get to take this seriously. And guess what? We're not going to do this perfectly, right? My love won't always look like God's love for you. Um, and, and people are really hard, too. That's the other thing. I'm not minimizing. Sometimes people are just really hard to love. So in order to be helpful and to provide some encouragement, here are three things to know this morning. If you're taking notes, I, I hope this is helpful, and I put this in my message just to kind of shape this a little bit. First, know that we all struggle. It'd be easy to come here today and be like, man, everyone's doing this so well, and I'm newer to this thing, and everyone else has got it, and I, and I don't have it. But all of us struggle. I struggle with this. The people sitting right beside you struggle with, with genuine love and, and, and playing it out in service and in the gifts. Know that we all struggle. Second, know that maturity takes time. It, it's my desire to just get this today, right? Ah, I struggle with love. Well, God, you know, is that my brain? Then all of a sudden I'm loving. But maturity takes time. Just as we would never hand um, the three-year-old you know, keys to a car because they're three, and we would never say, I just wish you were 16 right now. What's wrong? It's not their fault that they're not 16, right? It's not our fault. We don't have to have this high, perfect level of love tomorrow. Maturity takes time. But God's heart is that we step forward to grow in this, right? What we can do is we can repent of the ways that we're missing, and we can step forward to pursue love. So, again, the second thing to know is maturity takes time. And then uh, number three, know the love of Christ for you. I'm going to read this passage. Um, I think it will be on the screens. It's Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. I think this sums up what we're talking about so well. This is Paul's prayer for the Ephesian church, but it ties in really well with what we're doing today. Ephesians 3, 14 through 19. I'm just going to read it. This is Paul praying. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened, get this, with power through his spirit in your inner being, 
so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, and that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's Paul's heart, even though he's saying it to this other church. That's Paul's heart for this Corinthian church. That should be my heart for us and your heart for us as well, that, that we will be strengthened to know the love of Christ, that we will be rooted and grounded in love, and then step forward in serving and in the gifts. As this is, this is the love of God, Romans 5, 8, but God shows his love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrated perfect biblical love and, and when we were unlovable, and Jesus is the only one consistently speaking truth and love to us, right? Like, I want to grow in that. You guys get to grow in that. But Jesus is the one who has done this perfectly for us and that he consistently speaks to us in love. Jesus is the one that has all faith, understands all prophecy, and performed all the miracles with love. He completed the first part of this passage perfectly. And he is the one that gave all that he had and sacrificed his own body for us in love. He did all these things that Paul's talking about perfectly for us. Knowing that Jesus did all this for me frees me. It frees me from the fear of messing up when I use the gifts, right? When we play out the spiritual gifts in community groups or in the church or when we grow in this, it's going to be messy. It's going to almost paralyze us, right? I don't want to do it wrong. Or I don't want someone to think that I'm doing it for this reason. But guess what? Knowing God's love and how he did this perfectly frees me to not have to earn his love or do it perfectly, but we get to freely walk into this knowing there's grace and love there. It frees me also to love others knowing that they don't deserve my love, right? I don't deserve your love because I'm a dummy sometimes, right? You don't deserve my love, but, but knowing the love of Christ and that he freely gives it to us allows me to freely extend love to everyone. And it frees me to know that in my success or failure, I don't lose Christ's love. We get to operate in these gifts. We get to grow in serving knowing that Christ will always love his children, and so in closing, biblical love provides the perfect setting for the gifts to flourish. Biblical love provides the perfect setting for the gifts to flourish. If love is prioritized, then we will be patient when others learn to use the gifts, right? In community group this last week, um, we had a, a great group. David's leading well in there, and like we talked about the gifts, and he said, well, what do, what do we think as a group about using the gifts. And, and some people in our group were like, yeah, I've kind of had some experience with this and growing in it. You know, some people were like, I'm a little skeptical. You know, I, I'm not totally bought in on what this looks like or how I get to use this. And, and I think there was a readiness, though, to say we would love to take a step forward in this. And what love does is it kind of cushions all that, right? Because we're going to miss. Someone's going to get their feelings hurt. There's going to be an assumption that's done wrongly. And love kind of cushions that. And so we get to, to press into that. If love is prioritized, we won't boast if we have a gift or if we won't be envious also if, if someone else has a gift that we were hoping for. And if love is prioritized, we won't rejoice if someone falls flat on their face, right? It's not like, ha, they, they had this great gift and they messed up and now they're not important. That's, that's not love. Love is saying, oh man, let's pray for them. Let's help them get back up on their feet so they can operate out of love and build up the church with their gift. And finally, if love is prioritized, then we, then we will hope the best and endure with our church as we step forward in these gifts together. Knowing what biblical love is equips us to use the gifts for the good of God's kingdom. And so we get to respond. I don't know where your head's at with all of this, 
Um, I don't know how you feel about the gifts, and, and, but what I encourage you to do this morning is to pray in your chairs. That, um, me and my wife will be kind of down this aisle, and we'd love to pray with you. I think there'll be someone else kind of by the red tree over there, but we would love to pray with you about what this looks like. If you're confused at all with like gifts or how to apply stuff or what this looks like, we'd love to care for you and talk with you more about it. Communion is right here, and we, we try to explain what communion is a lot, but today I hope it's continues to be special as we remember the sacrifice that Jesus did in love for us. When you take the, the cracker, when you take the juice, we get to remember that Christ didn't just sacrifice himself to make himself look great for us. He sacrificed himself, he sacrificed himself for love to, to, to help us, to bring us along, to let us be a part of his family. And so as you take communion, remember that this is not um, anything other than just a reminder of what Christ did for us, and we get to repent as we do all of this. Um, there's a prayer bench over there. You're welcome to pray in your seats. And, and lastly, after you do those things, you're welcome to join the band as they come on up. You guys can come on up. I'm going to pray for us and, and then do business with God. God, thanks for your kindness to us. Thanks for your love for us. God, we are grateful to be able to read this passage today, hopefully to be challenged by it, and God, it's encouraging to know that you can do this work in us. You can change our hearts and minds to think rightly about others, to think rightly about the gifts, to think rightly about love. God, I pray that we would be a church that is known for our love, that the city would see it, and that we would be effective inside our church and outside our church because of your love, and that we would engage in serving and in the gifts, knowing that love is the foundation for all that we do. God, so forgive us for where we miss. Let us trust you for growth and for taking this next step. We love you. Thanks for your love for us, and we pray this in your good name. Amen.